Hello, welcome to the Food Underfoot podcast, episode three. This is your host, Melissa Sokolsky. Today, we're going to start with a new segment to the podcast called Corrections. This is where I correct mistakes, misspeaks, or generally fact check the last episode. Many of you caught my misspeak last time when I was talking about mulberries and I said to shake a maple tree to get the mulberries to fall. Obviously, I meant shake a mulberry tree if you want mulberries to fall. Next, I mentioned the neurotoxin in the ginkgo nuts, but I didn't say what it was. I did put it in the show notes on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash foodunderfoot, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash foodunderfoot. But I'll also mention it here, and this is from Wikipedia. It's called ginkgo toxin, 4-O-methylpyridoxin, and it's a neurotoxin generally occurring in ginkgo biloba. It's an antivitamin structurally related to vitamin B6, which is pyridoxine. So the ginkgo toxin was 4-O-methylpyridoxine and B6 is pyridoxine. And the ginkgo toxin has the capacity to induce epileptic seizures, especially in children. So of course, please go easy on the ginkgo nuts. Ginkgo toxin is structurally related to vitamin B6, and it's suggested that ginkgo toxin interferes with the synthesis of the vitamin, and that's what can cause seizures, but it can be also relieved by taking vitamin B6 supplements, which is interesting because when my daughter Molly was alive and suffering from severe seizure disorder, we actually tried to give her high doses of B6 and magnesium uh, together. That was one of the remedies for the kind of childhood seizures she had, infantile convulsions. But unfortunately, it did not help in her case. So if you notice anything in this episode or any episode that needs to be corrected, or you have more information on something I talk about, and you feel like I should share that, just send me an email to foodunderfoot at gmail.com. And you can also email me with questions or comments or even suggestions for upcoming podcasts. And I may get to your comments or corrections in a future episode. So that's foodunderfoot, all one word, at gmail.com. And on to today's podcast, foraging the five flavors. So as you heard in podcast one, I'm also an acupuncturist and I studied Chinese herbs as well as local Western botanical medicine. Now, since the pandemic began, I haven't been doing very much acupuncture, but one thing I do still offer is called uh, the element imbalance assessment because it's online. It's a free online assessment. It's kind of a quiz which you can take to see which, if any, of the five elements might be out of balance. And I'll put a link to the quiz, the assessment in the show notes. It's not a medical assessment. Uh, 
and it says right on there, please don't take it that way. It's just kind of a fun thing to do to learn about the five elements in Chinese medicine and how it might relate to your health and your body. So in Chinese medicine, the elements are fire, earth, metal, water, and wood. Each element has correspondences, for example, different organs, colors, emotions, or seasons that go with them. Like metal, the season is autumn, the color is white, the climate is dry, and the organs are the lungs and large intestine, and the emotion is grief. And also, and importantly, since it's the focus of this podcast, each element has a taste or flavor associated with it. The five tastes are that bitter goes with fire, sweet with earth, pungent or spicy goes with metal, salty is water, and sour for wood. And if you do end up taking the five element assessment, you'll receive a chart with all this information. So foods and herbs in Chinese medicine are all classified as having one or more of the five tastes. For example, lemons are sour, kale is bitter, winter squash is sweet, miso is salty, and onions are pungent. And this is important in Chinese medicine because the taste of the food tells us what energetic effect the food will have on the body. So bitterness has a downward effect and does what we call drains dampness in the body. Sweetness has an uplifting effect and it tonifies the body's energy. Pungent has an outward effect and you might notice that you start sweating when you eat very spicy food and sour has the opposite effect. It pulls everything inward and then salty also has a downward movement. So I thought it would be fun to think about the taste of common wild edibles that I forage all the time. But then I realized, as I mentioned in episode one, a lot of common wild edibles are actually Chinese herbs already. And they're already assigned a flavor or flavors, making my job of assigning a flavor a lot easier. So purslane, for example, has a sour taste. It's a Chinese herb called Ma Chi Xian. It cools toxic heat in the body. And dandelion is known as Pu Gong Ying, and it's bitter. Ginkgo nut, Bai Guo, is bitter and sweet. Wild mint, Bo He, is pungent. And plantain seeds, Che Qian Zi, are sweet. Now, any wild onion or garlic or mustard, like ramps, onion grass, garlic mustard, watercress, anything like that, those will all be pungent. They push the energy of the body out. So they're really good for if you feel like you're coming down with a cold or you're you know, catching something, you wanna push that back out. So any pungent onion or garlic or mustard, it's great. Berries like wine berries, raspberries, blackberries, and mulberries. 
They usually have both sour and sweet tastes, though mulberries are usually just sweet. Now, a lot of edible mushrooms, like chicken mushroom or hen of the woods, and the young reishi mushroom, which reishi is the Japanese name of that mushroom, lingji is the Chinese name, they're all sweet. But once the reishi becomes older and gets more medicinal, it's bitter. The flavor changes. So I did make a foraging five element chart and I'm going to put that on the Patreon page. Again, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash food underfoot. And that's where all my blog posts are and where the magazine is and everything is. So definitely check that out. But I'm going to put this chart up there. It'll be an attachment so you can download it. But basically it looks like this. It has three columns and the fire element has a bitter taste. And then the examples are dandelion greens, broadleaf dock, reishi mushroom, earth, sweet, mulberries, chicken mushrooms, Jerusalem artichoke. Metal will be pungent and that's garlic mustard, ramps and wild ginger. Water is salty, sea vegetables, ocean water, sea salt, and auroch is on there, and that's a wild green. And the wood element is sour. And we have yellow dock leaves, wood sorrel, regular sorrel, sumac, and Japanese knotweed. And I mentioned this a little bit before, but many things have more than one taste. So burdock root is sweet, but the stalk of burdock is both sweet and bitter. And many of the greens can also have two tastes, like garlic mustard is pungent, but as the spring heats up into summer, it gets bitter as well. And then broadleaf dock is both bitter and sour, and berries, as I mentioned, have both a sweet and sour flavor. So in Chinese medicine, the taste also indicates which element and therefore which organ or meridian, which is energy pathway in the body, the taste will indicate which meridian the energy of that food enters. And that's why eating leafy greens, which are bitter, is so good for the heart. But also eating too much of a certain taste. And in our culture, that generally means too much sweet and too much salt because sugar and salt are added to so many foods that'll injure those elements. So too much added sugar can injure the earth element, which is the digestive system, the stomach and the pancreas. And too much salt injures our water element, and that relates to our kidneys and bladder, and that can affect our body's fluids. And we see that with an increase in blood pressure and other things. So also in Chinese medicine, these elements all exist in relationship to each other. They're not just single elements in a vacuum. And there's two main relationships with the elements. The generating cycle, meaning that each element generates the next, like wood generates fire as spring 
generates summer, wood is related to spring, and fire is summer, and then fire generates earth. So fire, summer generates late summer, and earth generates fall, or metal, sorry, earth generates metal, which is the fall, and then metal generates water, which is the winter, and then that goes into the wood again. I've probably messed that up because I don't have that written down and I'm saying it from the top of my head. So if I did mess that up, you can write in at foodunderfoot at gmail.com. But each element generates the next in a cycle. And then there's the controlling cycle. And I'm not gonna try to do the whole thing, but one example is that water controls fire. And that's a pretty obvious one. But if you do take that assessment, you will get all this information. It just automatically gets emailed to you when you send in the assessment. This, the results will get sent back to you with a lot of information. So, but I'll also include, I'll include the five element chart as an attachment on the Patreon page also in the show notes. So that was foraging the five elements. But finally, I heard from a listener last week who suggested I add stories like ancient legends and mythologies to the podcast. So I'm going to quickly tell you the story of where Chinese medicine comes from. Back in 2697 BCE, Huangdi became the ruler of China. His name translates as the Yellow Emperor and yellow being the color of the earth element. And he was thought to be the one of five deities and he ruled the earth, which is his element. And the color corresponding with that element is yellow. So Chinese medicine was invented by the yellow emperor who also invented music arts, the calendar, the compass, writing, armor, weapons, ships, and coined money. Through fasting, prayer, and meditation, he also discovered the Tao, or way, the ideal state of being and existence. And Taoism is one of the major religions of China even today. But the Yellow Emperor is also sort of a mythological figure. He had four faces so he could see in all four directions and control the world. And when he died, it said he rose to heaven and became an immortal. Now this was so long ago, over 3,500 years ago, it's unclear whether the Yellow Emperor was a real historical figure who myth has grown up around, or if it was already myth given a historical identity. But somewhere between 400 and 200 BCE, the actual text Huangdi Neijing was written. And that translates as the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine. And it is the most important text in Chinese medicine, as well as a major book of Taoist theory and lifestyle. So it's believed to be the first text of Chinese medicine where medicine is the cause of disease. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, where medicine and the cause of disease is based in nature and the natural world rather than on shamanistic belief of demons causing disease. So 
As I said, it was written sometime between 400 and 200 BCE. The Tao Te Ching itself was also written around 400 BCE by Lao Tzu. And the Wang Qi Ne Jing, they don't know who wrote that book, if it was one author or multiple authors. It's actually two volumes. The first is the Su Wen, or Basic Questions, and it's written as a question and answer or dialogue between the Yellow Emperor, Huang Di, and his physician, Qi Bo. And this is where the theory of yin and yang and the five elements were first described in Chinese medicine. The second volume, the Ling Shu, or Spiritual Pivot, discusses acupuncture theory, the meridians, which are energy channels, the acupuncture points, and the placement and insertion of needles. So this text is still studied today, over 2,000 years ago, almost 2,500 years ago. So that's it for today. Remember, if you have questions, comments, or corrections, you can reach me at foodunderfoot at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast and receive the monthly full-color digital Food Underfoot magazine, please go to patreon.com slash foodunderfoot, and you can become a patron with a small monthly fee of your choice. There are suggested tiers on there, but at the bottom of the Become a Patron page, there's also an option to customize your own amount. So I do hope you join us over there and become a patron. The magazine is really great. You'll definitely want to read it. And also, your support means a lot to me, and I'm very grateful for it. So that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash food underfoot. I hope you all have a great week, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye.